We come before you this morning with exceeding joy. We come before you, Lord, with our hearts filled with gratitude for all that you've done for us. Lord, rejected by the world, cast aside by men, but loved by God. Lord, we thank you that you love us. Lord, we who are so unworthy and so, Lord, so far fallen short of your glory. Uh, Lord, that you would extend this love of grace and mercy towards us and call us your own. Lord, you've dressed us as your sons. How grateful we are to come this morning to your word. We pray, Father God, that you would speak into our hearts and into our lives, that you would give each and every one of us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of your word. Father, without that, Lord, we just are noisy, clanging symbols. So we ask that you would speak into our hearts and into our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. I got so excited about this this message um, that I, I I was really jealous of, of Maureen ministering last Sunday. I, I want to share it like burning my, in my spirit. And I know that I, I put so much that I wanted to share that I could never possibly fit it into into the time that we have. So I've had to edit it down to what I what I hope is the the, the real essentials of what God has for us this morning. And so I I'm going to ask you to turn to Second Peter. In your Bibles, and we're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 11, um, and we and we'll see how far we get this morning. Okay, Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 1 through 11. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God in our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our and of Jesus our Lord, according to his divine power, have given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called you to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, Add to your faith, virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if you, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just stop there. Isn't it a good thing to know that, that we don't need to be barren or unfruitful? We can actually be really profitable. We can be uh, of service to the Lord. That's wonderful. So um, verse 9, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Wow, what a promise. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 13. I just want to draw your attention to verse 13. It's one more verse. And I want you to notice the word, the first word that says when. Uh, Jesus actually waits. He says when. He waits to ask the question, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so that's really what we're going to be looking at the, uh, over the next couple of weeks. Uh, I don't think we're going to be able to, to finish it today. And, uh, but uh, I, 
I, I don't, when you talk about the scriptures, like, hey, there's a way that you'll never fall. You're going to enter into glory. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be fruitful. You're going to be productive. It sounds good. Amen. Amen. So if we will embrace what's been said here, then then we will uh, enter into the, into the realms of glory and, and enjoy God's presence and blessing. So it starts off. Um, let me give a little bit of a, a background to this book. Uh, Second uh, Peter, uh, some of the people in, in the school of higher criticism actually argue about whether Peter wrote this book, you know, because uh, I said, oh, the, the text is slightly different from um, the, the, the first book. And uh, But I, I don't know about you. It says that Peter, Simon Peter wrote it. And that's good enough for me. I mean, I don't care what the academics are. I'm just settling for, for the fact that Simon Peter wrote it. And it's very interesting. Uh, that the, the book is written by Simon Peter. Okay. Um, he uses both his names. Um, Simon was his birth name that he was, that was given to him by his Jewish parents. And Peter was the name that Jesus gave him. And so he, uh, he actually acknowledges his Hebrew heritage and he acknowledges the fact that Jesus called him Peter. And we're going to look at that and, and see actually what it means. And so, Simon is his birth name. In, in, in Greek, it's Sumion, and Sumion uh, uh, is, is the Greek name, uh, but, but Simon, Shimon, is his Hebrew name. Shimon actually means uh, to, to listen, to hear, and it's very interesting. As we go through this, you're going to find out what, how, how it actually uh, his name comes together. Simon Peter literally means, Peter is the, the Greek word Petros, it's the little stone. So you put his name together. He's the little stone that hears. Okay? Uh, so the listening stone, if you like. Um, and so uh, that, that's, that's going to be really relevant in, in a little while. But um, Jesus' teaching is so cool. You know, he knows how to make a point, doesn't he? And uh, so Jesus takes his disciples uh, to Caesarea of Philippi. Now, you need to know that there are two places called Caesarea. One is uh, in Israel by the sea. And the other is at Caesarea of Philippi, which is on the northern border um, of, uh, of Israel. Now, if I can get this little light to shine. Okay. So, Caesarea uh, of Philippi is over there. Over here, we've got Mount Hermon. You're going to see why these names, God hides things in there. He hides treasures and they pressed it together. And you're going to see how, how we do that. So, uh, this is the, the land of Manasseh and Green, and there's Dan over there. And here's Mount Hermon, which is going to come into play. Caesarea is right at the foot there on, on the northern border. And uh, it's here and, and the northern border where Baal is worshipped. So if I can do that. Um, Baal uh, was worshipped uh, back in the day. And Baal is, means the Lord of the dead, the God of the underworld. Okay, Today we'd call Baal a death cult because they actually burnt children there. It's a, it's a very... Terrible place over here. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's not something that, uh, you know, is to be uh, honored or, or uh, exemplified. So anyway, so we're moving on. Uh, I find it interesting that Jesus waits until he actually gets to Caesarea Philippi, gets right to the bottom of that mountain. And he says, he said to them, okay, who do men say that I am? I wonder why. You know, it, it's kind of interesting um, that Jesus does that because he actually takes them on a, on a little walk. And we'll, we'll see that later because um, in Jerusalem, if he was in Jerusalem, to get to Caesarea Philippi was 170 kilometers. 
This is more than just a little excursion. Jesus is taking them right out of the way, and we'll begin to see um, why why that's important in a moment. But he says, who do men say that I am? What are they, what are they texting about me? What are they saying on Facebook? You know, what, What's the word on the street? Who do men say that I am? And Simon Peter, the little stone that hears, says, thou art the Christ, son of the living God. And it's amazing. It's like it, it, there's like a revelation that comes through, and it's really powerful. And Jesus said, "Blessed are thou, Simon Peter, uh, son of, of Peter, Simon Bar Jonah, whose uh, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven." He's saying, "Well done, Simon. Well done, Simon Peter." In other words, Simon, you've listened and you've heard my Father, which is in heaven. You're blessed. We too are blessed when we listen and hear what the Father has to say to us. Can you say amen? amen? If we can learn to have that listening ear like Simon Peter. Did you notice Peter said, thou art the Christ. That's the Greek word Christos. Uh, it's, it's the Hebrew equivalent of the Mashiach. And it means uh, Messiah. You are the long-awaited one. You are the, the, the son of the living God. It's really interesting. Remember I told you that the Baal was worshipped here. And Baal is the God of the dead. But here... Jesus at Caesarea is proclaimed the son of the living God. So Baal is the God of the dead. Jesus is the God of the living. Baal is the God of the underworld. Jesus is God of heaven above, the God of creation, the God of glory, the life and the light of the world. Amen. God is good. And so we see that he, he that does this amazing thing. Now I want to draw your attention to the fact that they, they, they've taken that 170 kilometers up to I thought about that. I thought this has to be significant. Why would Jesus walk such a long way? You know, they, they couldn't just hail a cab and, and get there in a couple of hours. If you had to walk, um, you know, 170 kilometers. Uh, when I was in the army, we, we had, they, would, they didn't have hotels along the way. They would have had to carry everything. When I was in the army, we kind of worked with our equipment. Uh, we'd walk 20 k's a day, maybe 25, 30 if it was a really tough day. But if you if you take 170 kilometers from Jerusalem, they said uh, that's a six day walk. You know, at the best, it's, it's a long, long way uh, out of the way. So this has to be significant. Jesus has brought them here for a purpose, and I think it's really a, an incredible thing that that God is going to reveal. Um, so let me give you a little bit of background of Pastor Rio Feltai. Again, they they're at this little place at, at the base of the mountain. Um, and uh, over there, and um, this is the purpose behind it. Caesarea Philippi, the background, was founded by Alexander the Great as a countryside shrine to the, the god Pan. Okay, and uh, later, during the time of Herod the Great, uh, he established a, a country, a, a temple to the emperor, and uh, to a temple to Augustus. Uh, and after uh, Herod the Great died, his son Philip came to power and he expanded the size of the city and renamed it Caesarea of Philippi. It's interesting, uh, in order uh, to honor Caesar himself, Caesarea is the, the Latin root for that actually means a Caesar. So he's saying, hey, this town that I'm building is going to be named after Caesar and myself, Philippi. Philip. And so he's honoring both Caesar and himself. And uh, it's right at the base of Mount Herbert. Again, 
Uh, I said that that's Mount Jim. I don't know if you can see that there, but yeah, that's Mount Jim. Okay, okay. Mount Hermon is the border that divides Israel from Syria and Phoenicia, now called Lebanon, if we, if you know that local geography. And Bashan is this this area colored green and belongs to the tribe of Manasseh, as I said. Dr. Heisler says that the, the name uh, Hermon is derived from the Hebrew herim, and it means a thing devoted to God for destruction. Whoa, I don't want to put my house there. I don't want to buy property in that place. Devoted for destruction. So that's really what Mount Hermon means. It's a place that's going to be uh, destroyed. Interestingly enough, as archaeologists have been poking around that area, they've come up uh, uh, with some interesting finds. And one of the finds are these stone tablets. And these stone tablets they discovered in the Canaanite city called Ugarit. And uh, they further reveal that Bashan, that, that area of green that we saw on the map, uh, was known as the place of the serpent. Interesting, isn't it? Israel has nine venomous serpents. <laughs> So you can see how this all ties together. It's quite quite an amazing thing. So Bashan is known as the place of the serpent. And according to Jewish tradition, it was in, in this particular re region of Bashan um, is where the, the Nephilim came to, came to earth. Remember the, the, the fallen uh, spawn uh, of fallen angels? Um, uh, they cohabited with, uh, with the sons of men in Genesis 6. So it's all in the same area round about. So an uh, incredibly interesting area that Jesus would take them to. As well as being known as the place of the serpent, uh, it's a, a place where uh, the Nephilim were uh, entered the world and Caesarea of Philippi. I looked at that and I began to think, okay, well, what, what's significant about it? When you realize that the, it was where the Canaanites worship Mom, the Lord of the Dead, the God of the underworld. It's where a Roman temple was built to honor Augustus Caesar. <coughs> and then they built the Greek god uh, Pan, a place. So they honored Pan. We have a, a picture of this terrible person. Yeah, the god Pan. And Pan's temple becomes significant. So we did enough of him. So uh, we'll move on to uh, the temple. And this is what his temple was like. Excuse me. Okay. In the bottom of this cave, there was a bottomless pit, an abyss that just vanished into the real uh, lower parts of, of the earth. It was quite quite something. And uh, according to the heathen, according to the pagan, uh, it became known as the gates of hell in this temple. Right, right inside there, this bottomless pit, they, they just couldn't figure out when it ended. So, um, and it's, it's significant because all sorts of debauchery and demonic activity took place here. This is where Jesus is leading the disciples to. Interesting. So all sorts of demonic activity, pagan rites, child sacrifice, fertility rites uh, were performed here. And according to the pagans, as I said, this was the gates of hell. So for a long time, Baal, the god of the dead, the god of the underworld, was worshipped here. Now God, the uh, Pan, has been worshipped. I was thinking about it. What is this? This is really a pagan stronghold. This is the devil's territory, isn't it? 
with all this demonic activity going on. This is a haunt of evil. Now remember in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, Bashan, Mount Hermon, and Caesarea Philippi uh, become the, the, the devil's stronghold, the place of the serpent. Yet Jesus brings his disciples right into the heart of the enemy territory and has this discussion in the midst of enemy territory, who do men say that I am? And so this is a very powerful imagery that takes place when you consider the answer and all that's taking place. And Peter uh, says, uh, thou art the Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon of our Jonah, for flesh and blood is not broken for the same And I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In the midst of the enemy's camp, in this den of iniquity, in the serpent's nest, Jesus is declaring that the paganism of the Roman and Gentile world will not prevail. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus stands triumphantly at Pan's temple, declaring that the gates of hell shall not overcome my church. Uh, the pagan gods have no power, no authority. Uh, it, it's really very significant that they should choose this location to have this discussion. Okay, so let's bring it together. The place of the serpent on Mount Hermon is devoted for destruction. The place of the serpent. God is saying symbolically, I'm going to judge this place and you're going to see that my power is greater than all powers that you can imagine. And by his resurrection, Jesus will wreak havoc on the forces of darkness. This is what happened. The forces of darkness were utterly destroyed when Jesus rose from the dead. There was nothing the devil could do to keep Jesus bound in death. Amen? Amen. And so we had this glorious resurrection. And he's saying, hey, this place is devoted for destruction. This place of the servant is going to be destroyed. And it was, spiritually speaking, when Jesus rose again from the dead. And now believers have power over all pagan religions over that old serpent, even the devil himself. The serpent's stranglehold on death is going to be destroyed by the Lord of life. Hallelujah. God has given us life. We, were, we had the death sentence over us, but now because Jesus' resurrection, we are triumphant, we are victorious, and we will live forevermore in his glorious kingdom. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. This is what God has done for us. He's saying that the stranglehold is broken. Hallelujah. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. There's been a lot of controversy over this particular statement. But I, I want you to know, um, right here, symbolically, Peter says, thou art uh, um, the Christ. And uh, Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates will not, have, will not prevail against it. Now, they have just walked for nearly a week to get to this place. That's a massive rock. But this is not the rock that Jesus was referring to, okay? It's not the rock at all that he was referring to. And neither did Jesus mean that, that Peter was the rock as in the first pope, okay? Uh, and you're going to see why, uh, with all due respect to our Catholic brethren, that why, why that is wrong. If Peter really is the rock, it would mean that he is the chief of the apostles, Amen. And so uh, if, if that's, uh, they say, well, you know, Jesus did give him the keys of the kingdom. And there was no other uh, apostle called the rock. But it can't mean that because that would contradict the tenet of scripture. If you look at Ephesians 3, uh, sorry, 2.19 and 20, it reads this. And it really destroys that argument. 
Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God, God's people, and members of God's household. Who's God's household? The church. Amen. Next verse. Built on the foundation of the apostles, plural, not just Peter, but upon all the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. So it cannot mean Peter is the head of the church. I'm sorry, it just doesn't work out. Jesus is the chief. He is the cornerstone, the head apostle. He's the head of the church. Look at Ephesians 5.23. It says that very clearly. If Peter is the foundation of the church, it's going to be a very wobbly building. <laughs> you know, soon after this incident where Jesus says, the Peter says, you are the Christ, and Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. You know, he starts to say, no, Jesus, you can't do that. And and Christ has to rebuke Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan, because inadvertently he's doing the devil's work for him. He's trying to turn him from the cross. Then Peter, three times, three times, he denies he even knows uh, Jesus as, as his Lord. After the resurrection, Paul had to rebuke Peter for compromising the gospel. Remember Galatians 2.11? 2, uh, 2, uh, Peter is, uh, is confronted by Paul right to his face. How can Peter be the reliable, dependable rock if when he's told to pray, he goes to sleep in the Garden of Eden? Oh, man. <laughs> Peter, God help us if the church is built on a man. Any man, folks. Any man. But Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom to bind and loose things in heaven and earth. How are we to understand that? You know, I love what uh, Dr. Walter Martin says. He, he said basically that Jesus gave all the disciples the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. All of us. And I, I believe that to this day, you and I as the disciples, the followers of Christ, have the, the keys of the kingdom to bind and loose things yes. in heaven and earth. That's our heritage. Yes. If you look at it and you really get into an argument with somebody, take them to Matthew 18 and, and, and go to verse 1. And Jesus is answering the disciples' question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I wonder why they're having this conversation, Peter. I think Peter's been strutting around there saying, hey, you know, uh, I'm chief apostle. I'm the, I'm the rock. You know. But if you go through and you read, if you read Matthew 18 very carefully and you read it through contextually, you come to verse 18 and verse 19. And he's speaking to all the disciples. And to all the disciples, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, I challenge you, if, if two of you on earth, two of you on earth, that could be any two believers on earth, agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Clearly, Peter is not the rock <coughs> which the church is built on. We all have the power to bind and loose things in heaven. I'm so glad about that, aren't you? Oh, yes. The devil has been so traumatized by that revelation that, hey, every believer has victory over him and his demonic hordes. Every believer that believes in the word of God can walk victorious over the kingdom of darkness. It's a glorious truth. There are others who say, uh, those who um, confess that the, the church is built upon the, uh, the confession that Jesus is the Christ. 
Christos. It's the Greek word meaning uh, the Messiah uh, and the Messiah. So upon Peter's great profession of faith, Christ has built uh, his church. So Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And if only we knew uh, the, the history of this, we wouldn't. We would never have been confused, never been uh, misled in the first place. But if you understand the original Greek, it becomes very, very clear because there's a little play on words. He says, I, "Upon this rock I will build my church," and uh, he says, "Thou art Peter, the little stone, and upon this rock Petra." I will build my church. And that word Petra means bedrock. It means a massive boulder, a, a, a rocket so large it could be a cliff face or something like that. Bedrock. <coughs> Sorry, I forgot to have my milk this morning. <coughs> so, if we look at this, we begin to understand uh, what Jesus is saying. He's telling Peter, you're the little rock. But upon this Petra, this great massive boulder, this bedrock, I will build my church. And some have said and, 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 uh, that this is the rock of revelation that Jesus is the Christ. This revelation that Jesus is the head of the church is what the church is built on. Amen. Hallelujah. And so we begin to, to see that, that that's a, a great truth. I was thinking about this and, and been in my position for, for a long time. Until my wife argued with me. And we were talking about this. And she said, the church is founded upon Christ, whether you have a revelation of it or not. Uh, I can't fault that logic. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, you know, that, that's the truth. That, that, that we founded, the church is founded upon Christ. That is the whole truth. Nothing but the truth. And my wife says so. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> so. If we look at this, um, we begin to understand that this is the rock of revelation. Okay. So who or what is the rock that the church is built upon? The key to understanding this verse completely, because the Catholics will tell you one thing, the Protestants will tell you another thing, uh, the Jews understand what's going on, and so we need, we need to have a look at it. The key to understanding this rock of revelation and what, what it's actually about is if you need to examine the entire verse, it's always a good idea to examine everything, amen? Because in the context, it becomes very clear. Look at Matthew 16, 18. And I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And he has not finished speaking. He's got more to say. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus declared, that the gates of hell, that, that we saw that, uh, that, that this word hell is the generic term for the place of the dead, the departed souls, okay? Um, and so he's saying the dead shall not prevail against the church. So, again, this cannot be Peter because Peter died and his body's where? It's in the grave. The gates of hell or the gates of death have prevailed against Peter. So he cannot be the foundation of the church. Our Western mindset, uh, we struggle to understand this, and that's why there's so many uh, meanings as, as to who the church is built upon. <laughs> but the Jews didn't struggle with this. They understood straight away uh, what Jesus was getting at. 
Do you remember in Deuteronomy 32, it says, He is our rock, uh, his word is perfect, he, uh, uh, and he is faithful and just, um, a God of truth without iniquity and injustice, uh, perfect, good, and upright is he. Do you remember that? So they understood God is the rock, he is our rock. In Psalm 18, it says, that The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. Yes. Verse 31 says, For who is God save the Lord, and who is the rock save our God? That's the right. Jews understood immediately what Jesus was saying. It's only the Romans when they, with their Jewish, I mean with their Gentile mindset, they came and confused the issue. So, I love this one, because this, this verse really um, typifies and, um, and really nails it down. Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. you know it so well. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, remember that word behold means look and learn because there's something of remarkable importance here. It says, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Yeah. He that believeth shall not make haste. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the foundation. This stone is Jesus that the builders rejected. He has become the cornerstone. In other words, when you look at all the the evidence the Bible has, you cannot say that the, that the church is built upon Peter. It's got to be built upon Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. That's who the church is built upon. Allow me to kill the lily just a little bit longer. So we, we have the keys of the kingdom. I got excited. Okay. So remember this. It says, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. There is one who has conquered death. Jesus, our sacrifice, died for our sins. He rose again for our justification to demonstrate his power over death, hell, and the grave. This is the one who overcame death. Jesus Christ has proved by his resurrection that the gates of hell could not overcome him. Jesus Christ is the solid rock. He is the foundation of the church. He is the one and only one that can lay claim to this title. Amen. For he alone has the power to lay down his life and take it up again. As the hymn writer puts it, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Jesus is the rock of revelation. Absolutely. Jesus is the foundation of the church. Yes. And because we have a God who can lay down his life and take it up, we have an all-powerful God mm -hmm. who says, if you're part of my church, you will overcome the, 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 the evil one. You will overcome the forces of darkness. You will rule and reign in power and victory and authority. Amen. You will be victorious because I have risen from the grave. This is what Jesus talks about. Man, it's a beautiful picture of how right from the Old Testament, uh, he said, hey, I'm going to schedule Mount Hermon, this place that devoted to God, place of destruction. The place of the serpent will be destroyed. And Jesus destroyed the forces of darkness when he rose again from the dead. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just we just thank you that we serve a great and mighty God. Who is like unto you, O Lord, amongst the God, glorious and holy and fearful and praises, doing wonders. Lord, you are a God of miracles. Lord, good and upright are you. And so, Father, we thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've called us by name. Thank you, Lord, that you give to us 
a, a second chance. We who were rejected by the world, Lord, who have suffered at the hands of, of men, Lord, have found grace and love in the hands of our God. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray and we ask your blessing to be upon each and every one of us, Lord, that we would walk this week in the power of our Lord, that you would be our constant companion, a friend that sticks closer than a brother, that this week we'd walk under the anointing of God, moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you are the head of the church. We are your church. Lord, we are your servants who rule and reign victoriously in Christ. Thank you, Lord. Amen. <coughs>